Jennifer Lopez is a celebrity talent manager working behind the scenes to ensure her clients shine in the spotlight. But there's so much more to her than meets the eye. From the moment I stumbled across her Instagram, I couldn't look away. Jennifer's spirit and openness to share her healing journey captivated me. She's a first-gen eldest daughter, and she learned early on that she wouldn't force herself down any predetermined paths. Instead, she started her own business from scratch and is building her dream home and life alongside her parents. Together, they're experiencing the fruits of their labor as a united family. In this conversation, you'll hear more about Jennifer's unique perspective as she navigates the intersections of culture, identity, and healing her inner Nina. My name is Jennifer, and I run and own uh, Camila Creative, a talent management agency. Um, I'm also the uh, eldest first-gen daughter of immigrants. Oh my gosh, so many identities uh, come with that. Um, I think just by that alone, like I was the first to do a lot of things. I was the first to go to to high school here in the U.S. I was the first to go to college. I was the first one that decided on a non-traditional career, which is very interesting. Uh, I thought it would be crazier than it actually was um, in the beginning, um, but I had a lot of support, so that was great. I mean, growing up, I had a lot of the, the first that first gen, first gen sons and daughters go through, which is, you know, I was the translator. I was the person that taught my parents how to use a cell phone, text message, <laughs> and all that, all that fun stuff. You know, I feel like I'm going to be learning more about you right alongside of our listeners because you and I have known each other for a little while. We've done some like work projects together, but you're very reserved. It's just like you're very mysterious. You're very light, but you're very mysterious. So I'm excited to to jump in. But, um, you know, you were born here in the States, but your parents are from Oaxaca, Mexico. What how deep are those Oaxacanian roots for you when you were growing up? So deep. My parents spoke an indigenous language as their first language. And then they both lived in the city. So they learned Spanish pretty proficiently. And then when they migrated here, they met they met in the US, even though they're from the same region in Oaxaca. They met here in Los Angeles and they kind of did a lot of the immigrant first together. So, you know, they they had me six years later, they had my brother. There's two of us. <laughs> I was definitely the kid that traveled to see her grandparents every summer as the representative of the family um, for a really long time. Um, and so I, while I don't, unfortunately, I don't speak their indigenous language, I do understand bits and pieces of it. So I think that alone is like pretty deep. <laughs> what what language is that? Uh, Chinanteco is their, is their language. Yeah. And is that a part of a certain area in Mexico? I mean, is it just isolated to Oaxaca or is it pretty well spread? No, I think it's pretty isolated in um, in La Sierra Norte of Oaxaca. I the thing the, the interesting thing is that like, you know, when you grow up with something that's like so you grow up with it, something that's so ingrained, you're, you're not really learning about it in the traditional like Western way of learning about things. While I was, you know, literally traveling to visit my grandparents every summer or spring break, depending on what made sense, and literally live there for two to three weeks at a time, I really didn't see it through the lens of like, this is a novelty or something different, because it was just what it was. I didn't even really make the connections that 
now um, a lot of people will will talk about, and especially um, because they're from a town four and a half hours outside of the city, I would literally go stay with, I had an aunt who lived in the city for a couple nights, and then I would go straight to visit my, to my grandparents' hometown. And so even now, you know, Oaxaca became so popular and it, it's definitely been a buzzword within travel and social media, of course. I, I have a lot of acquaintances that I meet that like I, I'll, I'll uh, the fact that I, that my family comes from Oaxaca will come up. And so they'll be like, tell me where to go. Give me all the hotspots. And I'm like, to be honest, like it wasn't until recently that I started learning about places in the city or places that are more for tourists, I guess. Because I would literally go straight to the rancho um, when I was a kid. And so I think that that now looking back, I'm like super grateful that that was the case. But I think it's just really funny when people ask me, like, where are the places that I should go? I'm like, well, (laughs) yeah. And you bring up a good point. It's such a hot spot now and almost this mass migration of expats or even Americans going and setting up shop. And it's sad a little bit to me. And it's one of those things. It's like, what is it a blessing or if it's a curse and how come they get to move so freely within Mexico, but we can't do it to the reverse. Um, yeah. You know, you mentioned, you know, first gen, oldest child, oldest daughter, you're doing a lot for your parents, right? You're helping them navigate a world that, you know, you're all learning together. Tell me a little bit more about that as a kid. And are there any spaces or areas where you can just be a kid yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's a big one. Well, I mean, to start, I want to say we helped each other out a lot. So I think that I definitely grew up with that mentality of like my parents sacrificed a lot for me and my parents left their country and, and all of that because I am very grateful for that. And it did take to your question, like it did take therapy (laughs) and a lot of conversations with other um, first-gen Latinos' eldest daughters to understand that that also came with a lot of sacrifice on our behalf. And so I think that coming to terms with that has meant allowing myself to finally ask for help and to finally put myself in a position of where before I used to say like, it sucks that I never got to learn or I never got to enjoy or I never got to things that like, you know, you kind of didn't get to do it didn't really resonate like I would just it would just kind of be in passing and now I look back and I'm like by making sure that I'm like very intentional about looking at it I'm healing my inner niña that that is something that um has come with time and has come with conversations and has come with just like a deeper understanding in in who I am as a human being (laughs) rather than who I needed to become which was always kind of like the mindset that you have growing up yeah. It sounds like through your healing, you really taken that role that you played as a badge of honor now, not so much as a burden. But that shouldn't have been what life was. And, and I think before, for a long time, I was like, I felt like I was being ungrateful if I spoke in those ways, like if I, if I thought of myself in that way. But the rea- and ungrateful to my parents specifically, without realizing that they they did what they could and unfortunately societal like norms and policies and there's so much more that comes into play rather than just the fact that like the my parents didn't couldn't do certain things or couldn't afford certain things 
that reliance on each other too, right? It's a very tight family. You know, you go away to college and after a few short months, you move back home. Tell me a little bit about that. Is that due to some of those tight ties that you have? I think it was a combination of one, the type, um, one, there was a lot of confusion. I, I like didn't, I went, I was the first one to go to college. So I, there was so much that I didn't know I was getting myself into. I think that a lot of first gen college students go through, whether it's like figuring out like what their major um, is going to be, or like whether or not they can, whether or not they can um, actually take on a major that is relevant to their passions versus relevant to how much it's going to bring back to the family. So there's that, there's that part. All I knew at that point was that I was super homesick and that I wasn't okay being away from home and that it wasn't necessarily the best place for me. I felt very disconnected. I've met some really great people and a lot of them felt the same way. I think that it was very hard, a hard pill to swallow for me. Other Latinas would tell me, yeah, we feel the same way but this is something we just have to do and for me it was one of those things like it has to be there has to be a different way like I, I can't imagine myself unhappy for four years look knowing that there's probably a different way to do this being closer to home and like not really at that point I wasn't realizing that I needed my community and that I needed support from the the family that I've always you know known to be around me I was very fortunate to where I picked up the phone and I called my dad and I was like, Hey, this is what's happening. I, at that point, I think I had like researched what uh, I was at a, I was in a school that had a quarter system and like I had researched like where, what JC I could go to, to like keep going to school and still figure it out. But like down here versus up and I, I was in Santa Cruz and I called my dad and I was like, Hey, like, I think I need to come home. Like, I don't feel good here. And I got very lucky that my dad was like, are you okay? Did anything happen to you? I can be there tomorrow morning to pick you up. And like that, I know that's not normal. Like I've, I've talked to other people and they're like, no, my parents told me like, just deal with it. And like, we've already sacrificed so much. And I'm like, oh, I got very, I got very lucky that I didn't get that pushback from my family. And of course, like my mom was on board quickly also. And it, yeah, it was one of those things. My, all my dad asked was like, are you still going to be going to school? I don't think he actually understood in his mindset. It was like the end all be all, which is pretty common. Um, and, and I was like, yes, I'm still going to be going to school. Cause in my mind too, I was like, well, I'll figure something out like down there. He picked me up the next day and drove me home. And that was a complete change to what I think that was the first time that I was able to see that things could be done differently rather than what the expectation was of myself, which opened so many, so many, so many opportunities for me to what I do now from just having that freedom. Absolutely. I can see that parallel. Definitely. Now that you're saying that. So, you know, you leave school, you start your new journey. Tell me what's happening in between there. How are you then ending up in public relations to then opening up your own agency? Um, so I think the biggest thing with coming back, coming back was I had, it gave me the opportunity to talk to my parents and say like, I don't know what I want to do but these are the things I like. And I think that I can find a path in this. At that point it was fashion, which to a Latino parent that would normally be like, you're crazy or like, you know, like, I don't know, just, it, it doesn't connect the way that like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. And so I think honestly, like, I think that 
I had that conversation with them and I told them like, hey, I just really like fashion. I know there's something that I can do here. I'm going to get a degree. And so, and, and I started searching because I was like, I don't actually know what I could do in fashion other than like make dresses. I didn't even think that that's what I wanted to do. So like, it was very confusing, but also like, I knew that that was exciting for me. So what I did is I finished my gen eds at a, a community college. And then I found a, a state school that had a merchandising degree. And so I knew that that involved the things that excited me. So I headed in that direction. And this all also required me working. I worked at Universal Studios and then for a little bit. And then eventually I found a retail job because I was like, okay, maybe there's a connection there in like the fashion stuff. Eventually ended up at H&M. Was, it was during the time where H&M was opening stores everywhere. Was very fortunate to have been there at the right time because I got hired by their recruiting office to, ha to go through applications. So that navigating like that application process for their many stores it was very interesting to see how people applied to things and like just just to see how fast that company was growing too because they were like oh we're opening this store we're opening this store. it was like back to back to back stores being in that space I also realized oh well what does a merchandiser do and I was like oh that's not what I want to do again and so I was like I'm getting a degree in this and then I, I you know fortunately I was able to speak to a lot of people and that, that told me like just get your degree you'll figure it out at this point because I think at that point I was you know, pretty, pretty deep in. Fortunately, I was, I, I was almost done. My junior year, I decided a lot of the people in my major, not only were they like trying to figure out what's, what was next for them, but they were also interning. And that was a concept completely new to me because I, you know, like where, who, what Latino works for free? Like that's not, <laughs> like, like, yeah, like that, that was, that was something that I was like, okay, it's something that I, I didn't even know. I only knew that there was unpaid internships. Like I did, at that point, there really were. I mean, maybe there were, but there really, I didn't really know of any paid internships. So I started Googling fashion internship. And in that search, I found a, a PR listing for an internship. And that was the first time I had heard of PR. Like I really, at that point, I remember thinking like, I could have gone to school for this. Like, this is like so frustrating. Like I, that, this is annoying. But it also the listing was like so fun. And like in your twenties, you, you like are gravitating towards like the fun stuff. So it was managing guest lists for events and press clippings and like all this, like it, it just seemed the most exciting thing in the world. And I didn't even really, to be honest, like at that point I was like, wait, this is a job. Like people do this. Which now sounds silly to me because I've for a while, but like at that point I had no understanding of how things happened in the world because where was I going to get that? The only family that I had working in traditional jobs here in the U.S. was in education. And so that was a big topic of conversation amongst my family. Be a teacher or work for the district. And I was like, oh, that's not something that interests me. Well, and you gravitate towards what you know and what, what you can see of like people who look or sound or have similar backgrounds than you. So it, I always say it goes back to that representation. It's so key. I, I had no idea. Um, I think at that point, because I, I went to Santa Monica High School and then going to Santa Cruz and then I went to, I ended up going to SMC, I knew I was Oaxaqueña. I knew I was Latina. But at that point, there really wasn't this pride in being who you were the way that it it has come to be in the past, I want to say, even decade. And so I really didn't have this whole, I wasn't even searching for, I didn't even realize that I was searching for 
for seeing myself within these spaces. I was just kind of like, that was, this is what it was. And I, I started interning in fashion PR and it was just white women. That's just what it was. And every so often there would be like a sprinkle of color and there were a few of us. And so that was just kind of, that was super normal for me. And you know, a lot of the, a lot of the now I look back and I think of like a ton of the microaggressions that actually are microaggressions. And I'm like, holy shit, I wish I could have stood up for myself or I wish I would have even understood that. But in a, but in a way that kind of also, I feel like having that ignorance and not seeing them as microaggressions as what they were, I was able to stay in that space. Cause I, a lot of the times it was just, wait, they shouldn't have spoken to me that way. Or why was I singled out for specifically this? Or why was I given all of the Spanish language translations or so many things, right? You, you hit on a great topic, which is pride in your culture. You run your own talent management agency and your client list, it reads the who's who of Latinx culture. You just have all these amazing public figures. You know, was that intentional? Part of that decision meant like navigating and seeing what space I wanted to be in. At that point, it wasn't like, I want to build this and this is exactly what it's going to look like. It was more of like, I want to work for myself and I want to feel good in a space that I'm working. The agencies that I worked for, they were boutique agencies where, you know, oftentimes you are, you find yourself doing a lot of the legwork and not being compensated fairly. And so that, for me, that was kind of like the biggest thing. I, I felt really stuck and I think that someone said it to me, if your opportunities were different, maybe you wouldn't have started your business and you would work for a corporation that has, you know, similar values or something. To be honest, like maybe that would have been the case just because like, you know, I really, myself and a lot of Latina business owners, agency owners come into this looking for a place that feels good, a place that not, 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 not necessarily the representation front and center, but just, you know, being treated fairly and compensated fairly for your time. And I think that those are, you know, fundamentals that we that we often forget when we're talking about everything else that comes after that. So the representation, being able to work from home or do things like that. And it's like, we're often looking for to create those spaces. And None of it's easy. And, you know, being a business owner and um, understanding, you know, the, the systems and taxes and all of that, it takes a lot. And so, you know, oftentimes I do think I'm like, maybe I would have, have taken a salary job had that had that existed. And, and maybe it's starting to exist. I don't necessarily have the best example of it other than what I'm doing myself. Yeah. And what I love, Jen, of having these conversations, because, you know, I love hearing your lived experience of becoming an entrepreneur. But when you zoom out and you see these stats of that, like, you know, Latinas are the fastest growing entrepreneur group. And you have to drill back down and say, many of us are starting the, our own businesses because we don't feel seen. We don't feel valued. You know, we don't, we don't want to just be the only Latina in a space or at the table. So we're just going to create our own damn table. Yeah, yeah. And eight years ago, when I first started working for myself, that wasn't the case, right? There were no, there was there were no statistics at that point. And like, I had very few 
colleagues that, you know, were out doing their own thing that I, you know, a lot of what I leaned on was kind of like taking it back to um, my parents, my mom, you know, housekeeper and, and like, they don't talk about it as their own business, but that's their, that's a business, you know, like that they're taking care of their clients. They're setting their schedules there. There's, there's just so much. That was the reason that, you know, I had so much support on her end growing up because while she worked, she always was there for me because she made her schedule work. And so that was really what I leaned on of like, yeah, I don't know anyone that's done this, but I do know that my parents, my dad in construction, I do know that my parents work for themselves and to, to a point. It's super exciting now to see those numbers and to have more um, friends in, in these spaces because it's like so necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to go back to something that you said is that, you know, you've been doing a lot of healing, healing your inner niña. I love that. And I can so relate, Jen, to to what that looks like. You have the added layer of your parents live with you and your husband. What is that like, you know, healing your inner child while still being in such tight community with your parents? And I bought a house in 2019. And so when we decided to buy the house, Part of the conversation was, I want my parents to come live with us. That had been part of the conversations from the first time I met my husband. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we've always rented. So I grew up in an apartment. My brother and I shared a bedroom. Like, that's how I grew up. And so I knew that given a chance to have a house, like, I wanted that experience to be with my family. I also knew that while we had things to get through, like, you know, everybody has like traumas, lowercase traumas, thank God, to get through, to manage and navigate. I also knew that that, that wasn't going to be impossible. And I don't know where that came from because everything seems harder <laughs> when you start. So 2019, we bought the house. It was a fixer upper, remodeling it in a month, two months later. So I'm here thinking we're, we're going to have to learn to live together again. It's a substantial big, substantially big house. So like we'll all have our own spaces. It'll take, it'll take a while, but we'll get, we'll, we'll get the hang of it. Everybody works. I work from home, but everybody goes off to work. So it'll be great, right? We'll get to know each other. The pandemic hits and everything is shut down. My parents are both home. I'm home. Fortunately, to start off, fortunately and unfortunately, to start off that year, my husband was traveling a ton for work. So it was just the three of us. So just like I can imagine everyone in the world, we were forced to deal with our demons front and center and all at once. So would have hoped that a pandemic didn't have to happen. We really got to know each other and we really got to be there and support one another. As my business was transforming, as my parents, my parents have already gone through had already gone through a recession. So, you know, while it wasn't a recession, it very much felt like it when it came to work. So I, I had their support as far as like the conversations. And I, you know, fortunately I was, I've been seeing a therapist for, I would say like four or five years at this point. And so having her support to navigate through these situations, like I would go to my therapist and say, Hey, I don't know what's happening, but I feel 15 all of a sudden. And I hate it. Like, you know, because I, because I, there were things that we had to deal with and there were boundaries that I had to learn to set with my parents and there were boundaries that they had to learn to set with me. So I think that 
a lot of that required us to be face-to-face and us to be in community and have those conversations that we didn't before because I would be in my apartment and they would be in their apartment. So it, while it was definitely not the ideal scenario in which to heal, it was very it was very healing to be together in that moment. And as we saw the world, what was happening in the world, we also had to like realize how great it was to be able to be together and to not be far. I have a brother that's in Boston, so he was far away. And so, you know, kind of like really having a taste of like what it's like to not see a family member because you, you know, you're being cautious and you're taking care of yourself. So yeah, so really that, um, and not to say that things are perfect because God, I wish (laughs) that things were perfect. Um, I'm also very fortunate that I have a mother who is very, very much, I would say she's like, a. she has a very modern mentality. Um, she always says that she grew, she ended up growing up here. So a lot of her and didn't and lost her parents at a young age too. So she didn't really, ha- she doesn't have like these like ingrained concepts of what things need to be. So she's very open to whenever I have a conversation in therapy and I'm like, hey, like, you know, this came up. And I think I'm applying it this way. I don't necessarily always tell her, but like when things do come up and I'm like, hey, this look look at how I'm looking at things differently. And then, you know, oftentimes, like when you talk to someone, you're just like, oh, well, they'll, they'll, they'll be there to listen. But my mom applies everything that I'm learning to herself. And that has been so cool to see because it's not only healing me and it's healing her and thank God, because it's expensive. No. And I, I, you know, I love, I obviously keep up with you on Instagram and you know, just what I see about you. And I feel like it's very genuine and, you know, you're not just doing it for the gram. You show up very whole. You seem, you seem to be very present and grateful in every situation. And you have this airiness about you. It's just, it's just beautiful. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I do try. Um, I think that it, it, it's been interesting kind of like seeing social media develop and we're about the same age. I hate to date us, but the reality is we were around before social media. Having to be super selective about what we're sharing and like be having to, as far as like the code switching, I feel like it was so real for us in our like early careers, right? So maybe there were colleagues didn't know us. And now I have, I have all my colleagues following me on Instagram and I'm like, am I oversharing? Like, does it matter? And so like at this point, I'm like, wait, we're all human, right? So let's be honest about who we are. And we're able to do that more now, too, rather than before, where you were were looked down or a certain way for certain things. So so I'm glad you say I'm very grateful that you say that because I'm like, okay, I I definitely try to, to share. I'm definitely I wish I was a Gen Z that could share everything, but that's a whole new level of comfort. No, but I love it because, you know, part of it is that mental health you know, wellness that you so often talk about online and, you know, I see it and it's a great reminder. You know, if I'm having a down day, low day, you know, it always, you always come across my feed. I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, it's just a moment. It's just a day. I just love it. And then you go outside with your plants. It's like, maybe I should go outside with my plants too. Jen's doing it. Do it. Oh my God. I've that's another thing that I've been like very lucky with my parents. Like they love gardening and plants. And so they're the ones that have made this place as beautiful as it is because it's so much work. Like I net like I've been helping them and it's just it's it's a lot of work. 
I love these conversations. I, I think that we can have these conversations for days. I'm excited to really listen to your other guests that are coming on on the show. And I, I think my biggest thing is like for, for these types of opportunities is just a reminder that we're all trying to figure it out and none of us have it together as different as social media might make that, might make that look. Just that reminder that we're all figuring this out in our ways for sure. Thanks for listening. Misma Project is executive produced and owned by me, Jennifer Yepes Blundell, and Savannah Jones is our editor. We'd love to connect with you. Hit us up on Instagram or TikTok at Misma Project, or send us an email at hola at mismaproject.com. And remember to please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Every time you do, you help our community grow and our voices heard. Okay, bueno pues. See you next time.